Howdy. <laughs> All right. I don't think I see any, any children left. So I, I guess y'all heard me or just knew where to go. That's awesome. Uh, I, do, I do appreciate uh, the time I have in the pulpit. So I thank you, David, for, for this time. They had a, a good week this week as they went to a conference. And, and prayerfully, that will uh, help to aid them as a family and, and us as well as a church. And so I've said this before with Pastor Dave, and now I'll say it with Pastor David, that I like to sometimes take a style of the pastor so there's just an easier transition. But here's the problem with this today is the only plaid shirt I own has a button missing. So I didn't get to do that. Uh, I need more facial hair and some just for men. So... <laughs> uh, yeah, almost all white. You know, my mother went all white at 18 years old and dyed her hair for the longest of time. So I did, thankfully did not get that genetic thing. You know, I pretty much went salt and pepper by the time my dad was going it, right about the time that he had children. But today, we are talking about a very intense topic, a topic that a lot of us dive into daily. We're talking about anxiety, anxiety, as you can see from the bulletin, unimaginable peace for the anxious mind. Now, the Anxiety and Depression Association of America states that 100% of all Americans have experienced anxiety. Now, I don't know how they did that study. I wasn't called, but I think that every ounce of me says that that's probably correct. In fact, let's, let's do a survey here. If you've ever been anxious about anything, raise your hand. Let's go ahead and raise your hand. Keep them up. All right, so that's... Keep them up, keep them up. Okay, here's why I want you to keep them up. Pastor Dave is going to go around with a microphone. He's going to ask you what you've been anxious about. Why'd you put your hands down? <laughs> you're like yes i've been anxious no i will not tell anybody about this absolutely you know it's something that just it has been on our minds maybe even this morning as you were getting ready for church there was some anxiety some some of you may have rushed and thinking oh, i'm not going to make it in time or and this anxiety wells up we could go through an endless amount of scenarios That presents to us anxiety, can't we? You know, two years ago, the National Institute of Health stated in a study that one-third, one-third of all teenagers have an anxiety disorder. That's a huge number. That was two years ago. Now, we don't even know what kind of things will surface from the studies that are going on right now concerning this pandemic. I bet... It will be much larger than 33%. That's concerning, isn't it? And that's just teenagers. Anxiety is a huge, huge problem. Now, what I'm going to talk to you today, I want to add a little footnote, I guess, in this sermon. Is I'm going to stick with what the spirit of the text and scripture says. And how God says to battle anxiety. I'm not going to talk about some of the things that I do believe God has given us. 
to help with these things, like the medical community and things that, that we may need to help us along in dealing with anxiety. I don't want to dismiss that, but I'm not going to particularly talk about it. So I don't want you to think that as I talk about today in what Scripture says, that that is the, the end all of end all of things that God has provided for us to tackle anxiety in our life. Because God has given us everything that is good. Would you agree? And so I want to add that. And I tell you what, I've had anxiety this morning for sure. For about 20 minutes I looked for these. They weren't on my head, no, but Karen, my lovely wife, decided to put them up where they were supposed to be. But I kind of put them around. And if you, I know that Kim will know this, that sometimes, now I need my glasses, right? Before I could kind of get by, but now there's some readers in these progressive lenses that are really quite fun. And, and these Bibles we have up in the youth room, not exactly large print. And so if I did not have them, I'd be doing this. And I'm not sure you want to see that. And even then, it's kind of hard for me to see. So I'm like, I've got to have my glasses today. Because the last time I didn't have my glasses, uh, and I brought the scripture with me, well, I was in front of a larger group and had to just read behind me a screen. It was like, I can't see this at all. Sorry, guys. And I just didn't have them with me. So some anxiety is built up like, you know what? This is, this is just like God. On the day I'm going to preach about this, you have to give it to me right before I do it. Uh, I tell you what, if I could pay someone... To take care of my worries, my anxiety, I would do it. I would pay someone $100,000 to take care of it for me. A year. I mean, that's how, much, how important that is to get rid of this stuff. Now, wait a second. Now that I think about it. Guys, don't think I make that much per year here. Okay? All right, so your next question might be, Hey, Scott, um, how in the world are you going to pay them $100,000 per year to take care of that? But that's for them to worry about. In our text, in Philippians 4, we continue our series. And I want you to turn with me uh, to Philippians 4. And we're going to be in verses 6 through 9. And the Apostle Paul, as was mentioned earlier in, in the series, that he's writing in prison under house arrest. Which means he's, he's chained to a guard in kind of a rented apartment. And he's awaiting trial. And he was there for about two years at this time. And and several times during Philippians, we get this sense that we've read that there's a sense of impending death in Paul. And we know from history, it wasn't shortly after this house arrest that he is, in fact, put to death. But I find this interesting that he's under house arrest under impending death by some of the clues we get in Philippians, and he writes this to the church. He says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your quest to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received 
or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Why don't you pray with me? God of peace, we thank you for this moment that we can dive into your word for such a topic that you know plagues many of us to the core daily. Even if it's just a once in a while, God, you've said some things in your word that that gives us hope, gives us encouragement, but sometimes we don't know how to deal with it. And so, Lord, I pray that through your word today, it would come with clarity for our lives. It would come with power that you promised. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's, let's break this down kind of verse by verse, because this is a fun one. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So my first point I want to make is this. The unimaginable peace of God for your anxious mind comes through prayer. The unimaginable peace of God for your anxious mind comes through prayer. And I'm going to go through some scripture. I'm going to go through some scripture that, that talks about prayer. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. We could sit here all morning and talk about the list that God has for prayer. Do this. Pray this. Think about these things in prayer. And I'm just going to go through just a few of them. So in Colossians 4.2... Paul says this, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. 1 John 5.14 says this, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. It's pretty encouraging, isn't it? Hebrews 4.16 says this, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Psalm 18:6. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. And finally, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So see, I could keep going, couldn't I? There's so many verses that God says prayer is so important. It is essential for the Christian life. Essential for the Christian walk. Essential for us to go through the things in life that we're going to go through. In our distress. In the things that we need mercy for. In the things that help us find grace. In the things that we need that, that, that we're being watchful about. The things we need to rejoice about. The things that we need to give thanks for. If I haven't said that already. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is important. If we move on to verse 7, excuse me, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Your heart feels anxiety. 
And the mind, I don't need to tell you this, the mind races to things that fuel that burning anxiety, doesn't it? Each one of us has things that triggers us differently. For me, and my family knows this, is tornadoes. Tornadoes trigger anxiety in me. And you think, well, that sounds obvious, right? But here's why. I lived in Houston for most of my life. And we had a few hurricanes come through. I remember one back in the 80s, a Hurricane Alicia came through Houston. And during this hurricane, I helped my dad. I was a young boy, but I helped my dad board up all the windows. But my dad was a curious man. And so the window that was by his rocking chair, he only boarded up so much so he could look out the window. Now, me as a young boy, one of my favorite things to do was rock with my daddy. Right? And that's a pleasure for me, too. And my boys are climbing my lap to rock. I'm just a rocker. In case you haven't noticed, if you've been with me at any moments of my life, you know I have to keep moving. If I'm sitting still, it, I don't, I'm not nervous. My legs will shake. And I don't even know they're doing it. Sometimes we're sitting, we're sitting here while the pastor's talking, and my legs will be going, and I'm moving the whole bench. And I don't even know it. Karen's like, you've got to stop. And I don't even realize I'm doing it. Right? I, I, I just, I'm a mover. I'm a mover. I continuously move. And so I like to rock. I don't know if there's going to be a day where I don't have a rocker in the house. Mine's falling apart right now. But I like to rock, and it's something special. So I would get in my daddy's lap and rock. Well, during the hurricane, power goes out. There's not much to do. Light a bunch of candles and see what's going on. So I'm in my daddy's lap. And even though there's a comfort there, even though it's like I'm in my father's arms and there's a comfort there, the hurricane's still whipping through pretty hard right in our house. And just would you know it, a tornado comes through that we're looking outside the window across the street, rips up one of my neighbor's carports and slams it into my next door neighbor's yard. Now, as a young boy, that's pretty frightening. You're thinking, I'm not sure I want to be in my dad's lap right now or by this window because something could happen with us. So I immediately left. But since that moment, tornadoes have given me just anxiety. There was a moment I was driving home uh, in a storm going back home to College Station at A&M, and uh, a tornado literally went forward ahead of us onto the road on Highway 6 once. And I just like panicked and froze thinking, I'm going to turn around and go back home. And I just kind of waited. There's a whole bunch of cars behind me. You know, everybody kind of stacks up. But it, it goes away. And so, but man, my heart was racing. My sweat was pouring. Right? Those things that happen when you're anxious and you, and you have anxiety. That's my trigger. So whenever April or March comes by, we have in this area all the time tornado watches, tornado warnings. And I guarantee you my anxiety starts to rise. Every March and April it seems like that happens here. And so that's my trigger. I get anxious. Now, I don't know what it would be in your life. There are many things that trigger us with anxiety, doesn't it? It could be something that hurts you in your past that triggers an anxiety. Some kind of fear, some kind of trauma. Maybe a misunderstanding with some people. There could have been certain, certain people you're around or think about. Certain places that you're at could even bring anxiety based on what's happened in your life. Certain smells, certain things you hear can bring anxiety. A song can bring up anxious thoughts. Now, my mind and our minds will race to things that fuel that anxiety. So we, make, we think of the worst thing possible when things come our way when it comes to being anxious. 
And I said before, it makes our heart beat faster. It makes us sweat. It makes us forget normal things in life that we should be dealing with, right? The things that perhaps that we try to control around us to, it makes us feel less anxious. If I can control this, I would feel less anxious. But there's some things we just can't control, which perhaps makes us more even anxious. And so we get into this cycle of anxiety, and eventually we feel overwhelmed. Sometimes, dangerously, we feel hopeless through this anxiety. But look what Paul is saying here, and I'll read it again. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. What's included in the word anything? Is your marriage part of anything? Is dealing with your spouse part of anything? Is dealing with your children part of anything? Your career, is that part of anything? You're traveling to and back and forth for work in a car, is that, is that part of anything? Your health, is that part of anything? Your friends and what they're dealing with, is that part of anything? I could keep going with that too, couldn't I? Do not be anxious about anything. And we could fill in the blank with whatever we're going through right now. Do not be anxious about your marriage. Do not be anxious about what your children are choosing to do or not choosing to do. Do not be anxious about your career. Do not be anxious about your finances. Do not be anxious about your church. Do not be anxious. Fill in the blank. Anything. Pretty strong command, isn't it? But in every situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. With thanksgiving. We go to God in prayer with thanksgiving. We believe He can actually do it. We don't go to prayer and think, well, my anxiety has been here my whole life and nothing's going to change that now. That's not the attitude He wants us to have. Later on in the chapter, we'll see in verse 13, He says that He's going to give us everything we need. And if he has commanded us to not be anxious about anything, do you think we need to not be anxious about anything? You bet. That is something we need. And so we need to go to God with thanksgiving, with hope, believing that he can do it, thanking him that, God, these things on my mind are going to be taken care of. He will guard our hearts and our minds. Remember that your heart feels the anxiety and the mind races to things that fuel that burden of anxiety. And here we see, when it says that he guards our hearts and our minds, that's pretty special. Let me back up a little bit, though. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The reason why I repeat reading this over and over again, because it's helped me in repetition as well, is having this scripture over and over again poured into my life this week, beginning on Monday, just saying, what do you want for me first? And what do you want me to tell everyone about this? Right? Because we see... We see this. The absence of anxiety is not what he's saying is exact opposition to peace. The peace that he's talking about here. And here's, here's what I mean by this. No matter if you're an anxious person, 
we can understand the absence of anxiety. There has been moments in your life where you were not anxious. I don't know what that was for you in your time, but there has been moments. And so our mind can conceive of that moment. Sometimes, for me, it's maybe if I'm on vacation. Right? Things, some, things, things seem to kind of settle down, right, in my life. And, and sometimes there's some rest there going on. And we can conceive in our mind times where there's been an absence of anxiety or worry. There's been a peace there. But absence of anxiety does not equal the peace he's talking about here. Because if we can conceive in our mind what the absence of peace is, we're missing the peace that passes understanding that he's talking about. Because we won't be able to understand that. Why? It's supernatural. It's supernatural. It's unimaginable peace. So yes, the peace of God takes care of that anxiety. The peace of God takes care about those worries. But it's much more than that. It's much more than that because it guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It's not just that God takes care of it and does away with it. He's now guarding and protecting against it in the future. It's more than just the absence of anxiety. Because that we can kind of understand sometimes. If it is on your mind, if it is on your heart, he cares about you in that situation. And so he wants to guard it. And he wants to protect your mind and your heart. Now, this does not automatically mean that God's going to remove the object of your anxiety. Because a lot of that times is what we think. We're saying, okay, this thing right here, this, this thing is giving me anxiety. God remove that. Right? That's not what he's saying. Sometimes that thing that, we, that is causing that anxiety will still be in our life. He's saying that in the midst of that anxiousness, in the midst of that worry, we pray to him about the anxiety, about the worrying. It's okay, absolutely, to pray about the things that are making it happen, but pray about our disposition towards it, our mindset towards it. Right? So we're like a... I've told some of this recently. We're like a, a boat on the open sea during a storm. The waves may still be crashing around us constantly. But the thing that sinks us is not the stormy waters. It's the water we let in the boat. And so we're asking God to take care of those thoughts, that anxiety, that worry. We're asking God to guard our hearts our minds. We're asking God, hey, don't let the water in the boat because that's what's really going to sink me. It's not the storm around me. It's letting it inside that does it. So pray, church, specifically about your anything with thanksgiving. Believe you will receive the unimaginable peace of God. So if the heart and mind are now guarded from your anxious thoughts from worrying, what are we to do? Because Paul has just said the peace of God was unimaginable. It, it surpasses all understanding. It goes beyond what the mind and heart can, can do. So God has now performed a miracle in your heart and in your mind through prayer to destroy the stronghold of anxiety. Yet there's still some things God wants us to do. And he, and he goes on. 
So the second point I want to make through the scripture here is this. The God of peace is with those who think about what is excellent and worthy of praise. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So what are we to do? We are to use our minds. The fact that God has, has taken anxiety and guarded our hearts and minds and does not render us useless, does not render us without action. He says, I want you to think now. Think about all these whatevers, right? And I think the summation here is if anything's at or praiseworthy, which is why I said the God of peace is with those who think about what is excellent and worthy of praise. So let's break it down really quickly. What is true? Because he says whatever is true. We have to think about whatever is true. What is true? One of the most famous passages I think about is John fourteen six. It says this. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If Jesus is the life, then anything outside of Jesus is not life or death. Now, if Jesus is the way, then anything outside of Jesus is just a dead end. If Jesus is the truth, then anything outside of what he says in him is just a lie. Whatever is true. We take the word of God and we say, okay, what does it have to say about your anything? Fill in the blank. What does the word of God have to say about your marriage or your children or your career or your future or your past or your present? Or anxiety. What does God have to say about it? What is true? Think about those things. And it's up to us to dig in to figure that out. And the world increasingly has things to say that are different about what is true, doesn't it? And so we're bombarded by lies all the time. But he says, don't, don't even consider those things. Hold it up to the truth of my word. What is true? The very revelation of God to us is His Word, and we need to take that into account. He goes on. Let me ask, how has your mind been recently? Are, are, are the thoughts filled with honor, or are they noble? Are they right? Are they admirable? Those are qualities that are kind of hard to define sometimes, aren't they? What does noble really mean, or right, or admirable? If I try to think about those things, what comes up to my mind? I can think of a few things, but here's how our mind works, and, and maybe you're like me. I can think of the opposite of those things pretty easily. Let me go to some passages for you to talk about some of the opposite things. This is Galatians 5, 19 to 21. It says this, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, the things that are opposite of noble, right, admirable, Scripture says are obvious to us. They're obvious. And honestly, this is not an exhaustive list. Again, we could keep going. 
But we too often choose to focus on what can bring us happiness or comfort or ease or pleasure. And we frequently think only as much as we have to. And it's often directed to ourselves. Though we may desire to have a righteous life, our minds are focused sometimes on the obvious, on the opposite. So Paul is saying we need to change this in our thinking. He says, whatever is pure. My favorite verse is this, is Psalm 119.9. It says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. How can we stay pure? We do what this says. We live according to his revelation to us. We dive into scripture and we say, how are we to live? And we do it. That's how we stay pure. And he goes on, whatever is lovely. The Greek word for lovely is prosphile, which is made up of two Greek words. One is for the word for toward, and the other one is love. So essentially... Paul is saying his, think about whatever is lovely or whatever that pushes you towards love. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I'm going to go to Colossians 3, 2 and Romans 8, 5 and 6 for this. Colossians 3, 2 says, set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things. Romans 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. He says it over and over and over again to us, doesn't he? All throughout Scripture, he's saying these things. Think about these things. Because if we don't, it's our death. It's, it's the opposite of peace. You want the peace of God to be with you, then you think about these things. Whatever is noble, right, true, pure, lovely, admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If it's not, we throw it out. In a very real sense, in a very real sense, how we think determines our actions. Right? So our actions flow out of what we think we should do or maybe what we think is right. And so how we think we should respond is usually how we will respond. And this is something I thought about to add here. And the scripture is not going to be on your screen. But this is from 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. And it's a scripture I shared with the youth a couple weeks ago says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul has just said, Think about all these things that are noble, true, worthy, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy. And then in 2 Corinthians, he, he adds this thing. Look, we have divine power to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. You do as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. 
And what, what does that mean? It means, let's say we have a thought that we're thinking, should we even entertain this? And, and there's maybe some gray area in our mind that we don't really know if it's right or noble true, um, but it, doesn't may, it might not seem like it. And so what we do, we say, okay, let me, let me hold it captive. Let me hold it captive and say, what would God have to say about this first? What would he tell me? Would the Spirit agree with my decision? Would the Spirit agree with my thought? And if not, we interrogate it, we throw it out. Right? It's like, like a man in handcuffs, right? We, there, there's, there's, been, there's been a thought, now we interrogate it, and if it doesn't match up, we throw it out. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Anxiety, as I said in the beginning, is such a stronghold on a lot of people's lives. And we have divine power to demolish it. That's encouraging. That is good news. Think about those things. The third point I want to make is this. The God of peace is with the ones who imitate those who live according to a Christ-like example. We've seen Paul say this before. Even a couple weeks ago in the sermon, two or three weeks, I believe, Philippians 3.17 says this. Paul is telling them, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-3 says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Before we move on to the next passage, I want us to break down verse 8 and see how that, 9 and see how that applies. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace be, will be with you. So Paul is saying, whatever you have learned or received. Well, he's telling us what he has learned and received. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, What I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to to the scripture. So Paul is saying kind of this paid forward. What am I doing? How am I living? Live like me. And what does Paul do? Again, we have to go to the scripture and see. Right? Paul is instructing them to live a certain way, to be gentle, to pray, to have our thoughts aligned with Christ, to rejoice to have ways that we can deal with conflict amongst our brothers and sisters. And, and, and all these things he's instructing them to do, he's saying, hey, I've told you. Hopefully you've learned it. What have you learned? Whatever you received, now go do it. Do it. Think and act. And so he says what I have received. See, he had to receive it as well. Now, we do believe that, that Paul spent some time with Jesus for, for a number of years. And so he was learning and receiving these things, and he's passing on to them. What is one of the main things that Paul received that he's passing on to them? The good news of Jesus. I have learned. 
I have learned that Jesus, the Son of God, came and lived a perfect, obedient life. I have learned that the life we are called to, that, that we messed it up. And He took upon death on a cross that we deserved. He was buried and raised again on the third day. And if we come to Him with faith, if we trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we will be saved. We will be forgiven. We will be with Him forever in heaven. I have learned this. I have received it. And I am sharing it with you. Let's look at Philippians 1, 27-30. And I like how Paul kind of explained himself here and, and several times through his word. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So here's some more things he's saying. Look, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. The things that you see in me, the things that you have heard, put it into practice. Put it into practice. Now, we can think of Paul, right? Now, I don't, I don't, I don't really have Paul with me to kind of ask him questions, do I? I don't have Paul with me to see him presently doing things for Christ. So who do we go to? Who do we imitate now? Right? There, there are some godly people that you can probably think about in your life. One of the things, um, you guys may not know this, but, ooh, I don't know, three or four years ago, we had a marriage panel up in the youth room. And we had some couples come and speak. And, and Ronnie and Sharon uh, shared something with me that just stuck with me. They said, from the beginning of their marriage, they agreed to never have an argument. But, yeah, I'm not doing very well with that either. You're laughing. <laughs> Uh, but that, that's encouraging. That says, you know what? That, that holds up to this, doesn't it? What they've decided to do in their own marriage to not ever have an argument holds up to what God has said to do. And so I'm thinking, wow, that's, that's certainly admirable. That's certainly lovely. That's certainly true and noble and worthy of praise and excellent. And so while I am not there yet, you know, I strive, Karen. <laughs> I strive to do what's right. I strive to do what's, and think about those things that will, will squash those things. Because I can tell you right now, arguments in the family, they cause you to worry. They cause you to be anxious, don't they? And so there are people in our lives, and certain things about their lives, that we can imitate. Again, we hold it up to Scripture. And we say, is this true? Is this what God would say is true? And we do it. We put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with us. Now I mentioned earlier, before I spoke about Philippians 1, that we can have unimaginable, the unimaginable peace of God through prayer. We can have the unimaginable peace of God from the God of peace being with us. And, and if you're sitting in the audience today, 
and you're thinking, man, that's what I want, but I don't know about Jesus too much. Let me tell you something. The peace of God, the God of peace, that divine power can be yours as well. But first, we have to have peace with God. And, and what did I say? That Jesus, the Son of God, came to live a perfect, obedient life, gave his life for you. I mean, if we would trust in that good news, we would have peace with God. And from then, from then, Ephesians, so many, so many passages tell us that we have everything necessary, every spiritual blessing under heaven, the divine power to destroy strongholds, but we need him with us. And it starts there. So if you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, let that be today. Let you have now, today, peace with God. And if you have any questions about that, any questions at all, um, let us know. Let us know. There's a card in front of you, the yellow card that you can fill out, and someone will contact you. You can talk with us later after the service. Let us know. As I was going through this, I couldn't help but think about an old hymn that I used to sing growing up. Many of you may know this. It's what a friend we have in Jesus. I'm not going to try to sing it because I'm sure you don't want to hear me sing this. But I will say the words to you. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Do not worry. Don't be anxious. Everything to God in prayer with thanksgiving. Think about those things that are worthy, true, excellent, lovely. Do what is right. Imitate those who follow Christ well. And the God of peace be with you. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much, first of all, that you've given us an, an ability to, to call upon you in prayer, to, to commune with you, to ask you to take care of these anxious thoughts, to care, take care of the things that worry us. Lord, I pray that we can do these things with thanksgiving, that we, that we believe we already have them. And we're thanking you along the way. Even if the anxiety around us does not get taken care of, if the, if the things that are crashing around us still are happening, Lord, that we can not be anxious through the storm, that we cannot worry through the trials of our life. God, that we, that we separate ourselves from the things that our, our minds bombard us with that are not true or noble or worthy or lovely or pure or admirable or right or not worthy of praise or excellent. Help us to do that. Help us to think about those things. Even as we pray, God, help me to think about these things with thanksgiving. Thank you for already doing it. Lord, help me to imitate those people who are Christ-like of any age. The things they do. Thank you for teaching me so much about you and your word through people. And help me to imitate the things that are right and true about them. Lord, with those things, 
we know we have a peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Unimaginable peace from you, the God of peace. Thank you so much for this word. I pray, Lord, that we could take every captive and put it in obedience to Jesus and destroy the stronghold of anxiety in our life. This is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Scott, thank you so much.